If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right where we left off. We'll pick it up in verse 12 uh, this morning as we talk about becoming more like Jesus, which is our motto, more people, more like Jesus, all right? It's a little different. This is going to be radically different than what you've been hearing lately. We're not leaving the emphasis on prophecy, which we've had the last several weeks. And when we get into 2 Thessalonians, we're going to dive pell-mell right into uh, prophecy and the tribulation days to come and this and that. But this is an exceedingly practical passage of Scripture that we come as we come toward the end of our study for Thessalonians. And uh, in fact, it's so practical, he just lists a whole bunch in staccato fashion, just a whole bunch of commands, and we're going to do our best to try to apply those today. But it's football season. We've got any football fans here? How about Green Bay Packer fans? Ooh. They were all in the second service. Tough crowd. I see you got some Chief fans over here. You can tape that, ga- that, that game later on today, by the way. But, uh, well, but if you know anything about NFL football, my brother was an NFL referee for over 30 years. And, uh, and he actually played, in, not in the NFL, but he played in semi-pro ball and and he, would, he was in the day of Vince Lombardi. His name is synonymous with football. In fact, the trophy for the Super Bowl is named after Lombardi. It's called the Lombardi Trophy. But when Vince Lombardi, the famous coach of the Packers, became the coach of the Packers, it was 1959. This is what he said to this fledgling group of football players that were pretty much a hodgepodge, of, and they weren't very good. In fact, they were bad. He said this, We're going to relentlessly chase perfection. Knowing full well we can't catch it because nothing is perfect. But in the process, we will catch excellence. I'm not remotely interested in just being good. That super inspired his players. And just two years later, they found themselves in the championship against the Eagles. They lost, but just barely. They had ascended now to greatness and come training the next year, as they were in training camp, as they got ready to start their third year, Vince Lombardi famously stretched out his hand and uttered these five iconic words. Gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> and for the next hour, he took his team, now established, through all of the fundamentals of football, all of the elementals, all of the basics. How important was that? Well, they would win the next five out of the next seven world championships, the Green Bay Packers. And why did they win? How did they win? Why? Is because they never left the elementals. They never left the basics. They always had the foundational things down, and they were the best, the absolute best at it. Now, look, as we get into 2021 at Sayreville Church, uh, we're, we're, not, we're not here to win championships, that is, but we are here to build champions. And Lord willing, along the way, win a few trophies. And by trophies, I mean individuals, men and women, boys and girls who place their faith in Jesus as we preach the gospel. Now, just to remind you, if you've been with us, we're, we're going through 1 Thessalonians. This was a, Paul had only spent about a month with these individuals. Hardly enough time to do a whole lot of discipleship, and yet they knew all kinds of stuff about prophecy. And because they were really young, 
Paul knew that they, like you and me, needed to chase the perfection of Christ and in the process catch a level of excellence in becoming more like Jesus. So what we're going to do is he concludes by listing 13 pursuits in becoming more like Jesus. 13. See if you can count them. Here they are, beginning in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ for Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of commands. And when I was reading this and studying this, I was reminded of whack-a-mole. Have you ever played whack-a-mole? That's what we got here, you know, all these commands here. Which one are you, can, can you bop on them here? I mean, it reminds me, we're preach, preaching this section is a little bit like whack-a-mole. I mean, Spurgeon once said, never preach on, t- on two sins or they'll hide behind the one they're not doing. So, uh, so here's our idea with our, with our faithful elder, Jared Leonard here. Uh, you're the moles, okay? You got to play with me on this. This is like a shotgun sermon. I'm, you know, all kinds of stuff here. So you're the moles. When, when, when an issue that you are struggling with, that is challenging you or convicting you comes up, you pop up, okay? And Jared will hit you with the sacred whacker. Then we know you'll go on for Jesus. Okay, that's not going to happen. But let's thank Jared and his brother-in-law for helping us out here. Andrew. Okay, we won't do that. But if you're humble, and I'm discovering who the humble ones are through all throughout the morning. If you're humble, you could still pop up. When I come upon a command of the 13 we just read through there, and dwell as much as we can in the time that we have upon them, and you are personally challenged in becoming a champion for Jesus, I would encourage you to pop up right where you're at. I might ask you every once in a while, okay? And I know it's some of you, well, I'm popping up in my heart. That's not what I'm talking about here, okay? So we're going to consolidate these 13 commands into three categories in our, in our desire to become more like Jesus. This is the idea. We're going to commit in 2021 to being more like Jesus, okay? That's our motto. We're asking you to make that commitment. And, and the first way you do it is by your submission to God. Now, if you, verse 12 and 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. They're over you in the Lord, admonish you. Esteem them highly, very highly, in love for their work's sake. That, that doesn't sound like God. He's talking about your coaches. He's talking about your pastors. He's talking about your elders, So why would you call this by your submission to God? Because when you submit to the authorities God has placed in your life, you are submitting to God. 
Think about it. If the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus, was willing to submit to earthly, even his parents, how much more his servants, right? Now look, great teams usually have great coaches, right? Still, we'll stay with that analogy of football. Great teams have great coaches. Andy Reid, right? Come on, let's, are you a real fan of the Chiefs or not? You ought to be amen in him. Talk about him. Anyway, <laughs> wasn't quite going to connect hallelujah with Andy Reid, but whatever. Great teams have great coaches. They do. Listen to this. The 1959 Green Bay Packers. You don't, need, you, don't need, you don't need to know beans about football, but listen to this. The 1959 Green Bay Packers were a hodgepodge, ragtag group of football players. There were a total for the whole team, 36. 36 on the whole team. 13 of the 36 would become future Hall of Famers. And really, to football lore, I mean, household names like Horning and Ringo and Greg and Kramer and Nitschke and Starr and Taylor. That team, that team, before Lombardi took it over, was 1-10-1. and one. When Lombardi took it over, they would win five out of the next seven championships. Don't tell me that coaching doesn't make a difference, right? Great churches are led by great men. Now, this isn't a self-serving comment. Just hang in there with me. Because greatness is a relative term. Everybody's greatness fades. Can I get an amen from all of you that are, you know, 103 and older? And any pastor worth his salt knows this to be true. Nevertheless, it says that you are to respect those who are over you. See it there, the word respect? Some of your Bibles, actually the word means to know. You get to know them, so to speak. But the respect is the idea. One of our earliest church planters in the engaged network of these five church plants that we have was young. He was in his 20s. And he was incredibly capable, tremendous communicator, great soul winner, and yet was constantly being opposed, disrespected. Uh, in the early, and he just about threw in the towel. Men and women who should have known better we're disrespecting this young man of God. Praise God, he persevered. But all of you should know this scripture in Hebrews 13, which says, um, Obey those who have the rule over you and submit yourselves to them as those who watch for your souls, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Have you ever read that? So some of you, here's the deal. Some of you struggle with authority. I'm not looking for hands to be raised. There we go. Let's see those moles pop up. You, str don't, you struggle with authority, pop up, pop up. Come on. Come on over here. Pop up if you're struggling with authority. There you go. Amen. The rest of you are a bunch of liars. <laughs> Doesn't mean everybody struggles with authority, but I know in a group like this, a lot of you do. And it doesn't matter if it was something sewn into you by your mom or by your dad or you just have the, an inclination to resist everything that, that speaks of authority. Let me encourage you with a couple of things. Look at the text. Respect those who labor among you. Watch this. And here's the sphere. They're over you in the Lord. There's the sphere. 
I'm not here to get into your finances or your marriage or your kids or your home or your hobbies unless any of those things and more are messing with your walk with God. Then I come in. Hot sometimes. Actually, what it says over you, the Greek word means to stand before. And that's really a bit of a word picture here. It means to, the idea here is that we present ourselves, the pastors, the coaches of the church here, we present ourselves not as authoritarians to command you, but more as examples to live out before you. That's the idea. And by the way, I do praise the Lord for the coaches of Sailorville Church. Uh, If they are a blessing to you, they are a marvel to me. And and by the way, Paul's not done piling it on here. Look what he says here in verse 13. And esteem them very highly. I mean, just so that you, 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 uh, any, if you have any Greek geeks in here, that is a double superlative adverb. You don't see too many of them. I mean, it means exactly what it says in your English Bible. Esteem them very highly. So, hey, show some love here, okay? The idea here is esteem them very highly. In fact, I, 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 th- I have a theory that everybody has a reverend wonderful in their life. You know, he's the guy who was your first pastor, or he led you to Jesus, so you know, he can do no wrong until he does, and you find out he's a human being like everybody else. But whether you have a reverend wonderful or not, he says, Paul says, esteem them very highly. And this is by, some people love these texts. This is where you get the word reverend, you know, or most holy reverend, bishop, and all these things. People love to put the titles behind their names. Look, I'm just Pat. And while I do think it's a good idea that you parents teach your children to respect authorities, call people Mr. and Mrs., and yes, call their pastors pastor, unless you're just weirded out by it, you can call me Pat. I'm fine with that. But here's the deal. If you're going to esteem your coaches very highly, here's the great inspiration to you. Look what the next line says. You do it, why? Because of their work. Did you see that there? That's what you ought to be underlining. Because of their work. Not because of their, their personality, their popularity, their power. I'd throw five other Ps in there if you want. None of those things are why you ought to esteem your coaches very highly. But because of what God has called them to. And if you think that a pastor's job is just to pray and read his Bible and talk to people about Jesus, you got it wrong. You have no idea the pressure that comes upon the men of God and authority. But let's be straight. We're not in here for a popularity contest. Well, not most of us anyway. He says, be at, look at how he finishes this section. Be at peace among yourselves. And I think that's a, connect, a direct correlation to the submission. Remember, if you're submitting to your authorities, you're submitting to God. And he says, be at peace among yourselves. Again, just to use the analogy, the football analogy, the metaphor that we started with, if you know anything about football or any other sport for that matter, once once you lose respect for the coach, it doesn't matter how stinking good that team team is. That team is going down. The coach keeps that team together. The coach is the congealing factor. He's the one who pulls things together. He's the one who uh, coagulates the team, pulls it together. In fact, the word peace means to bind together. That's what a good coach does. 
That's what good coaches do. They bind the team together. And if that's not happening, things go awry, teams go awry, usually there's infighting, all of the above. So be at peace with your authorities and thus submit to God. So we are on a venture to be more people, more like Jesus, and to commit ourselves to that by submitting ourselves to God and to the authorities he places in our lives. And then, by your love for others. That's what this next section is going to deal with, your love for others. Just the other day, uh, a new Christian guy that I had the joy of leading to Christ, been working with, he's a brand new Christian. He says, uh, hey, he says, I work with this guy. I work with this dude. He's a really nice guy. He's really religious. But he found out I was a new Christian. He said, you know, I don't really need church. I, I have my own church. I do my own church thing. And I'm just wondering, how am I supposed to respond to him? How would you respond to him? I referred to the one another's in the Bible. Have you ever read them? I mean, the, the list is almost infinite. Listen to these. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded toward one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Serve one, for, uh, serve one another. Bear one another. Uh, burdens. Give Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak truth to one another. Be kind to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. And it goes on and on and on. And here's the point. You can't do church by yourself. It's not possible. Because you can't fulfill the, the myriad of one another's in the scripture. You need another to do the one another's. And by the way, it's, it's, it's those, getting back to the coaches, and not just coaches, it's not just the coaches, but there are many of you uh, that are here that you are, you're, you're like those individuals, you, 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 let's go back to the football game, the game's on, and your team just, you know, the kick, they ran the kickoff back, the, last, the next series there was an interception, you're down 14 to nothing, and only four minutes is gone in the game. And you see guys sitting on the bench like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. And then there's that guy walking up and down like, like the Tom Brady's. He's just yelling at the guys, cheering the guys, speaking truth into those guys. And these are the people we need in our lives. So when things are down, they, 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 they rear us up. And you have coaches that are like that here, right? Kurt DeGraff. Jason Jackson. It doesn't matter if you're 21 points down. You're going to win that game after you talk to them. Because they're cheering you up. They're putting spiritual re-rod back into you. And, and they're loving you by that. That's my job, to speak truth to you, to, to brace you up and to love you that way. And sometimes loving means you got to confront them. So look what he says here. He says, be, no, verse 15, I'm 14 rather. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. See that there? Admonish the idle. The idle here, some of your Bibles might say unruly. It basically means a, a, a person out of place. They're out of, they're out of sorts. The, they're not walking with God. They're taking a different... So he says admonish them. The word means to warn. Literally the word admonish, this is interesting to me, it means to put into the mind. And I got thinking about this because if the goal in helping somebody to get right with God who's out of place is that they repent, 
The word repent, the Greek word metanoia means to, to uh, change your mind. Did you know that? When you say that person needs to repent, what you really are saying, they need to change their mind. Now look, if you change your mind, you change your ways. Okay? So if the word admonish means to put it, put it into their mind and we want them to repent, I have to put something in your mind if I'm going to get you to change your mind. And the truth of God is what does it all, right? So, encourage the faint-hearted. The phrase faint-hearted, encourage means to come alongside. That's what it means, to come right alongside of them. That's what it means. Faint-hearted means small-souled, a small soul. Okay? Somebody said before, don't, don't, don't play whack-a-mole, play whack-a-soul. Whack That's what I should have been. Jared walk around hitting you guys. But a small-souled individual is a faint-hearted one. Now, who are these people? These are those who, because of life itself, those of you, those of you watching, you're down in your life, you're hurting, you're fearful, your faith is wavering, your hope is fading. You're a Christian, but you desperately need somebody to come alongside of you and say, God is real. He loves you. He has a plan for you, and no one can thwart his plan. And that God is working to build you up. Is there anybody in your life that you know you need to speak hope into their lives that God is still working? Verse 14 says, help the weak. There's no need to, you know, to spiritualize this. It, the word weak just means somebody without strength. That's all it means. Pictures maybe an aged individual that you're just kind of helping up off their chair. But he's not talking about aged individuals. Because you can be without strength physically. Some of you are, are without strength morally. Some of you are without strength spiritually. Some of you are struggling with addictions. And then there are people who are just poor. They're down and outers. They're hurting people. And they are without strength. And he's saying, help them. I praise God for the ministry of, of GCR, Gospel Center Recovery. They are there bracing up, helping, lifting up people who are down in the dirt that no one else will help. Praise the Lord for Dave and Lori and, and Adam and Summer and, and Todd and John, all these guys that are, and others that are helping so many of them. And we're going to cast a vision tonight to extend that vision. But you'll have to come back for that. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that? Verse 14. Be patient with them all. Can I get any pop-ups for patience here? Come on, seriously. There we go. Come on. Anybody here impatient? Oh, yeah. I knew that would register. I got to tell you, I was talking, talking about John. John Nemers is our evangelism director. and He'd been working with this dude for like a year. And he's telling me about him about every other week. I said, John, he's... <laughs> I mean, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Time, you're wasting your time. Off with him and on to somebody else. Amen? The guy got saved about a month later. He's in our church every Sunday. And he texted John a little bit ago. He said, glad for the shout out. And thanks for hanging in there with me. How cool is that? And I was rebuked. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. Watch this. And to everyone. Why does he say that? Because you and I are inclined to do good to those who are on our personal list and not on everyone's. 
And we're to do this. We, this is what it means to love others. A couple weeks ago after Lucas preached, I was out there in the foyer talking to a guy, good guy, good friend. And he said, man, was I convicted by that message. I said, you were? I, I'm surprised. What was so convicting about the message to you? And he looks me in the eye and goes, I basically don't like people. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Hey, some of you would say the same thing if you were honest. You don't like hanging out with people. You're the first one out the door. I know that we're wired differently. I, I get it. But God has called us to love one another, to go the extra mile, to help weak people, hurting people. And this guy was humble and honest to me when he said that. One more area that I want to talk about, committing yourself to be more like Jesus. And your submission to God and your loving others. And then the discipline of yourself. Now, we're going to see a couple of these things tied together. There's a whole bunch, like eight more. You say, eight more? How much time do we have? Ah, it's the last service. I'm kidding. <laughs> but the first three we're tying together. We're going to loop together. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Get, uh, give thanks in all circumstances. These are all disciplines that you need to practice and I need to practice. Rejoice always. Can I get anybody to pop up to have, you have a struggle rejoicing all the time? Very good. All right. Very good. Yep. Kind of hard to do that, isn't it? Hey, let, maybe, let me help you with this. The word rejoice means to cheer up. That really helps, doesn't it? You don't really feel cheerful. And let me tell you something. If I could explain this away, it wouldn't be supernatural. But if you're a child of God, the Spirit of God is, is, is dwelling within you, you can choose to rejoice. You can choose to be cheerful. How else is our world going to see more of Jesus if they don't see him in you and me? And when we act so counterintuitive to the world with cheer and rejoicing when we're hurting, that speaks volumes. It really does. He speaks volumes. And James says, my brethren, count it all, what? Joy. When you endure various trials. And the trials shape us, do they not? At least that's their intention. So listen, dear, hurting child of God. Here, you're watching online. Whoever you are, he is still leading. He's still working out his plan. No one can thwart the plan of God. In his sovereignty, in his providence, and in his love, God has you in his mind. Do you believe that? He has you in his mind. Psalm 139 tells us that. Believe it. The word says so. And being confident of this very thing, that he who began that good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So be encouraged. And rejoice, even when you don't feel like it. Pray without ceasing. The, the verbiage here in the Greek uh, was used of somebody who had a hacking cough. I mean, you, just, you know, if you've got a hacking cough, you can't quit coughing. And here he's saying pray. Pray without ceasing. He's really not talking about corporate prayer, which we need to do more of. But it's talking about individual praying. It's not just talking about praying when you read your Bible, but all day long. And if you have a habit of praying all day long, then you'll have a constant awareness of God. Anybody here struggling praying all the time? Can I get a pop-up here? There we go. There we go. And yet if you do, 
If you'll commit yourself to praying, I don't mean being weird. You're talking to someone, just a minute, i got to pray. I don't mean that. More like Nehemiah. You have that little, you know, that arrow prayer and while you're looking at the king. Oh, my goodness. Oh, God, what am I going to do now? Boom. You're talking to God constantly. Richard Owen Roberts writes, The great men of yesteryear were men of prayer filled with the Holy Spirit. Today, men are just very smart. Thud. My wife tells me just before we start our cell group last week, I'm all geared up, ready to go. Honey, yeah, yeah, what? We need to pray tonight. Oh. Verse 18, give thanks in all. You don't even need, listen. Just pop up on this one. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do I need to bring Jared out here again? <laughs> Every time I read this, I think of when D.L. Moody uh, had a woman come up to him one day and said, uh, he says, well, how you doing, ma'am? She said, well, I'm pretty good under the circumstances. Well, that's your problem. You're always under your circumstances. I don't think I'd talk to D.L. Moody. Probably get something like that every time. So this is how you discipline yourself by being grateful, knowing that God has a reason. He has a providence. He has a so- is, he's sovereign over it all. Verses 19 and, and following, there's five more that I'm kind of tying together now. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from evil. I see all of these last commands tied to this book, okay, and your discipline. First of all, don't quench the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. To quench means to throw water on, to to extinguish. The Spirit of God, you know, the Bible says, stir up the Spirit that's in you, the gift that's in you, and that's done by the Holy Spirit. The most known symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is fire, right? Not out of control fire, but fire that actually controls you to be zealous for God, Acts chapter 2. It's the Holy Spirit is the one who takes truth that you've heard, that you've read, that's been spoken to you, or whispered in your ear, and says, that's it. I'm putting putting the bug on you here. This is what you need to do something about. This is how you need to change. And when he says despise not prophesies or prophesying, the prophesy means to speak before. That phrase means it's basically it's talking about a word that's clearly articulated or clearly conveyed. Um, Just a little reminder here. Paul's talking to the Thessalonians. These are the first century Christians here. When they came to church on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, the pastor didn't say, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5. They didn't have Bibles. What's a Bible? They wouldn't even know what that was. It hadn't even codified yet. But the Word of God was, was, was being written during that first century, right? Rather, the first century preachers would come in, these pastors, they would be reliant upon their memories and on the Spirit of God's leading. And as they preach, he's saying, don't despise the truth that comes in. Has there ever been a time you're talking to somebody, you know it, you're talking to somebody, he's like, oh my goodness, that registered, but I'm not going to let him know. Right? I, 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 there's three of you right here I could talk about right now. I'm kidding. I, I know that. I mean, it's happened to me. I'm talking to somebody, and they just speak a truth to me. It's like, oh my goodness, that's so true. 
That's the Spirit of God. That's a prophetic word to you. Do something about that. Don't push it off. Don't despise it. That's what Paul, I'm asking you to discipline yourself in 2021 to become a team, not just a team player, but one that's robust and strong and one that's willing to receive a rebuke. You see these players come off, you ever seen these players come off the field and the coach grabs them, and just gives them a tongue lashing right there. And you see how some of them respond. Some are just like this staring at them, you know. Some are kind of, you know, like whatever. Some are resisting him. He's saying, don't resist. If God gets into your grill through the preaching, through somebody else, don't resist him. Submit to him. And discipline yourself to that end. So, test everything. Hold fast to what is good, verse 21. By the way, praise the Lord that we can test everything now. Amen? We have a grid. Any word that claims to be true needs to go through this. But do you test things by the word of God? You can't do it unless you know the word of God. To the degree that you know the word of God, only to that degree can you test things that come to you, whether they're true or false. And that's why he goes on to say, abstain from every form of evil. Of course, the opposite of good is evil. The same truth that causes you to lean in to what is good should cause you to rear back from what is evil because you have knowledge of this book. You want to be more like Jesus? Jesus was all about the word of God, wasn't he? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall he live, right? One day when he was up against one of his greatest enemies, the Pharisees, in John chapter 8, it was in this context that he would say, your father is the devil. So we're talking serious business here. These were Pharisees. These guys were theologians. They were men of the Bible. They knew the Old Testament. They knew it very well. And it was in this context that Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will what? It'll set you free. But he said, but you're not free. I mean, they're just... And I'll tell you why, he says. You're not free because my word finds no place in you. Have you ever read that? My word finds no place. That was Jesus' words to the Pharisees. What an insult. The word place, the word means to advance. Okay, we're using the metaphor of football, right? So if you, if you know anything about football, before they run a play, what do they do? What do they all do? They huddle up. Can you imagine you're watching a football game, and they're huddling up, and they never break the huddle? It's like, hey, I'm sure you're having a good time in there, but seriously, let's play this thing. No, the purpose of the huddle is to get the play. You get the play to go to the line. You go to the line to snap the ball. You snap the ball to advance. And Lord willing, score a touchdown. I think some of you, you're just happy getting in the huddle. Maybe even break from the huddle and line up, but maybe just, you know, never snap the ball. If you're going to discipline yourself... You need to do so so that you say, God, I want your word. I don't just want to know your word. I want to advance. 
My word has no place in you, is what Jesus said. That was a hard word. And Jesus would go on to say, who, the one who is of God hears the words of God. And the problem is, the reason you, you don't <laughs> is because you don't know the words of God. You're not of God. And that's where some of you are right now. You're not of God. You know the Bible. You've got, you, you may even have a head full of truth. But you're just stuck in the huddle, barking signals at the line, going nowhere. God has given you coaches to submit to. He's given you people to love. And he has given you disciplines to become not just more people, but more people that look more like his son. And when we look more like his son, we do more than win games. We do more than win games. We glorify God and we make a difference in this world. It's 2021. Get in the game. Get off the bench. Be a cheerleader, but be a gamer for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, even as I go to prayer here, I think of what Jesus said at the end. You're not of God. You don't know him. He was of God. Here's God's words, and you don't hear God's words because you're not of God. Friend, is that you here in this room, listening online? Are you really of God? Have you been content all of your life to just get into the huddle, come to church? Nothing else. Maybe it's because you don't really know him. You know, Jesus died for you, rose again for you, took, his, took your sins upon himself so that you could be saved. That you could break from the huddle. You could go to the line. You could advance the ball for the glory of God. Move in submission and love and discipline. Oh, God, make us more people that are more like your son, Jesus. And that's why when we pray, Lord, we don't say in your name. We say in Jesus' name because that's how we come to you. There's only one way to get to you, Father, and that's through the perfection of your son. God, we know that we're not going to reach perfection on this side of eternity, but we can reach a level of excellence if we know, love, and walk with you. So commit us to that end. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.